0: I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we are hanging out with Steve Pokras of Verblio. Steve brings more than 20 years of startup, Fortune 500, and nonprofit experience to his role at Verblio, a content creation platform for marketing agencies and businesses. As CEO, he applies leading marketplace and SaaS principles to provide high-quality, fast, and flexible content creation platform. Welcome to the program, Steve. Thanks, Brent. Great to be here. So, uh, Steve, how paint us kind of a picture first about Verblio as a company. I know you guys do a lot of work with agencies and creating content and all that good stuff, but like, you know, how big is your team? Kind of what's the structure of the business today?
1: We are about 20 people. We are based in Colorado, um, split between Denver and Boulder and the, with some remote team as well. Uh, we have, uh, we're started in 2011 by a journalist and I think, uh, that is the the big picture. We produce about sixty thousand pieces of unique content per year for a variety of two thousand clients per month, from a whole host of uh, different type of content creation, mostly focused on on the written word, going anywhere from blogs to eBooks to uh, to landing pages, um, but also increasingly in multimedia with
0: video production as well. That is an incredible amount of content. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I think for most, I mean, I'm just thinking from the typical agency owner. Uh, of of knowing the stress and frustration that surrounds getting content from clients, getting content approved, the back and forth, the whole process and, and all that stuff. I just when I hear 60,000 pieces of content, there's just a part of me that just like kind of freaks out. just I, I think I have like like a, a PTSD for for content when it comes to projects. So I, I'm just kind of curious right off the bat like I mean how do you guys manage that much? workflow and volume with your business? I mean, obviously you probably have great systems and all that kind of stuff, but like, what are some of the things that you experienced during doing that much content?
1: It's a great question. So it's, uh, the number kind of, uh, is mind boggling to me as well. And so if you were going to manage 60,000 pieces of content and only do it with 20 people and have 3000 writers on the other side of your marketplace, uh, you have to build a marketplace and a SaaS technology that really just makes it all work. And so what we did is we looked at best practices in in marketplace businesses, how to source and find the best writers and talent available, and then focused deeply on the vertical aspect of how to deliver that talent as a service. So how to do that really hard, challenging piece of feedback back and forth between writers, selecting which writers are are in the pool you would like, giving feedback to them so that you minimize the amount of effort that an agency is doing any given time and uh, and then distribute it out in any way that they're looking for. Um, so we try to make the technology do the work and rethink the mousetrap uh, more than focus on hiring people to, uh, to keep to managing all those writers.
0: You um, mentioned that you support about 2,000 clients. Are those primarily end business owners or are you, does that count agency owners too?
1: It does. So about two thirds of our business is with digital agencies. You guys are our prime focus. We created this thing and have tailored this to try to meet your needs. Uh, and we listen to a lot of different needs every month on what we do next. And so uh, the, of those 2,000, probably, know, probably somewhere near between 1,200 and 1,500 of them are
0: digital agencies. Very cool. So what got you involved? I know that the business was not founded by you. Uh, You're currently the CEO. So how did that whole story evolve?
1: So the story evolved in kind of the second phase of my career. So I started in nonprofits doing uh, community development work in the late 1990s in San Francisco in the period of the greatest wealth creation in history. I was working in affordable housing nonprofits. Uh, So I, uh, I qualified for affordable housing at the time. Uh, my second career, after getting an MBA, hoping to do more of that, was focused on the first startup I got involved in was 2004 it was a company called LiveOps, uh, which was a pretty uh, had a really good ride in Silicon Valley and uh, got some got some fame. as really starting this marketplace business and the concept of how do you deliver services through a crowd. There was an article in the New York Times business section about a year and a half ago in the, the front page about how live ops helped inspire the, the Uber model, which I think is interesting. I'm not sure if I totally agree with it, but at least kind of we were, we were thinking about gig economy. Um, how do you apply different w- models of work and apply it with technology in innovative ways? And I thought that was about as cool a passion to apply to as possible. So it really brought together kind of my, my business sense with my, you know a lot of my passions for 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 changing the world uh which i know every type person says but not <laughs> to be over the top about such things and then uh so one of the so my business at live ops was really creating new business divisions it was a really fun job i was in charge of thinking of given all these uh all these capabilities we had, we had a bunch of the original Netscape guys who created the internet and could basically go to them with a vision and they would just bring it to life. What new services could we bring into the world that these this combination can make work? And so one of them was a workforce platform. Uh, we were calling live work at the time and we were working with a bunch of, uh, my idea was to use our surplus call center agents. It was a 20,000 person remote call center agent, uh, virtual call center project was to use their free time to do writing and extra and other tasks that were available. So we were working with one of the IAC organizations uh, and how to deliver a bunch of content for them. And then magically, I moved back to my hometown in Colorado. At just the time that I was lucky enough that the the founder of... Uh, of one of the founders of Live... Or sorry, of Verblio uh, was stepping down and looking for someone with the right background to replace him. So it was a really... Amazing fit that not only was it the exact type of work that I love to do and the type of work I have done before, but it was in my hometown.
0: That's awesome. I I, I love the um, like with your community management background and in, in in the marketplace based businesses, the crowdsource based businesses, how important that community aspect or the you know I, I mean you have a, you have three thousand writers. That's I don't know if you guys have it set up as a community. I'm assuming that they have some kind of interaction with one another, but how that is. Managed and evolved. I mean, when I when I think of the word like crowdsourcing, for example, I mean, I think a lot of agency owners probably when they hear crowdsourcing, they might cringe slightly because it might be something that one of their clients is like, oh, we could just crowdsource this, right? Um, but y- you do that as a business model. I mean, it's um, uh, it's actually how how blogmut now Verblio has always kind of been built is that there is an element of being able to post the projects and, and and the the writing assignments and getting, you know, getting people to either uh, I don't know if you guys still do it where they would you would get different versions of that post. So so how that all works together is is very much it's not just like you're managing a creative workforce, but you're actually cre- you're you're managing this kind of crowdsourced community to produce the work for your clients.
1: Yes, completely. It is a uh, it is a fascinating world, and seeing how it all comes together is really one of the most entertaining parts of the job. One of the pieces that, that I love about both uh, businesses that I ran uh, at both LiveOps and Verblio is uh, is having a community forum of our remote workers, which is you know we're trying to re envision the modern workplace where you have less dedication to one company and a lot of different um, gi- um, gig opportunities that kind of all come together. But most of the crowdsourcing and gig economy discussion has really been focused on commoditized labor, I think Uber and um, you know DoorDash, and getting deliveries from one place to the other. That's all been really focused on the flexibility and the availability uh, of making a match of real-time people without the qualification of kind of the skills involved and individual preferences of what that person can do. Um, so what we're trying to do is evolve that into what I think is should be called something like marketplace as a service, that uh, I think you're right about crowdsourcing, and I, I I actually rarely use that word anymore.
0: I was almost going to say, I noticed <laughs> that you never, you really didn't say that word. I said that word just for our yeah. listeners, right?
1: For the record. Exactly. I'm trying to transcend it, but those of you who remember it, um, uh, I think really the next evolution is how do you use these best practices of marketplace and SaaS to deliver skilled gig economy labor as a service. And so I think a lot of the, I think, you know, we're 20 years into this movement and we've learned a lot about how to build these communities. Part of the, what I think is the most the most um, powerful is creating sub-communities within the larger writer group, which is... You know, we, for example, I'll give you kind of a, an interesting uh, example. As I know, you guys are a big fan of uh, of agencies going niche, which I think is super important. I think that's exactly where the market needs to develop towards. And we're trying to build out those niche writer communities to provide to agencies as they look there. So we have a legal client who um, who came to us with a really big challenge. They were trying to differentiate themselves with content for the law firms that they serve. Uh, they had just made a big bet on going niche, and they had moved from general agency to law firm agency to just personal injury lawyer uh, agencies. Uh, and they were setting their clients apart by building out as much content as they could to uh, to reach the audience their their firms were looking for. But they were trying to scale rapidly at uh, dozens of pieces per month, and they were at 200 pieces a month when we talked to them, moving up towards plus 300 and also going into deeper um, word lengths. So they were looking for legal writers, but they were also looking for quite a specialty. They wanted JDs to edit everything so they could say they had lawyer-approved content with every single piece going out. And that we basically provided within a month. So we went out to our, our legal writer expertise. We rank everybody based on the expertise that they've provided writing for any, any given, uh, field. And then we asked how many of you are actually JDs? And it turned out we had a dozen of them in our community already. Uh, so we can, when you have these tools like, uh, uh, like a marketplace and a SaaS platform, we, uh, can go out and set those up really quick. So we currently are cranking out about 300 pieces of legal content a
0: month. And maybe I missed this just for our audience. What's a JD? Oh, sorry. A lawyer. A lawyer. Sure. Okay. It's like
1: their degree. It's like their MBA for lawyers.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. So you actually then were able to, yeah, you're able to source that kind of niche level of writing, which, and, and I like how you've, you've clarified this idea of commoditized labor versus uh, skills and preferences and kind of like because I think that those are very different, right i mean you're you're now creating a workforce that is you know that's a that's a highly skilled type of person if you can now plug that into other law firms that are looking to write and have their content vetted by not like you know some random you know college person who's doing some writing on the side and like, oh yes, I'm writing legal, I'm writing you know s e o content for a law firm i mean that was maybe that was like the 2000s, right? Where people were just kind of writing content that like played to Google's algorithm, but now that probably doesn't pass as being differentiated enough. I mean, you know, you're talking about like real authority level content that's being produced by you guys. That's a contracted team, right? Yeah. I mean, I I think so. This company was founded as BlogMud in 2011, where, if you cranked
1: out a lot of content, Google was going to uh, be your best friend. So basically, writing for the machine, and it worked. Uh, and then, uh, like every marketing trend, it evolves and it becomes more segmented. It becomes more complicated, uh, and so we had to evolve with that. I think one of uh, one of my favorite stats that I like to to uh, to share is that our the amount of content that we wrote um, that was over one thousand words was I think ten it was somewhere around 10% of our content two years ago, and now it's two-thirds of our content. So the game is becoming more about in-depth content. I'm not sure if there's a term. I'd like to use the term something like middle form versus long form and short form, but I think a 1,000 words, 1,500 is becoming more of the sweet spot.
0: Mm, interesting. Now, when, was, was the company still when you when you took it over? Oh, yes, it okay. was in uh, late 2016. And in, you've transitioned the... Was, was, it, a, uh, was it a rebrand? I, I, I didn't follow enough of the story. Did you guys rebrand into Verblio or was it a, a merger? We rebranded into Verblio last October. So October,
1: 2018, with the, uh, with the feeling I'm I'm sure none of your, your audience will be surprised that BlogMut was no longer representing the story that I told. Uh, it did represent the story of being uh, helping the small business compete on Google. Uh, and then both our clients evolved and the marketplace evolved. And uh, we felt like Verblio represented something completely uh, a little more fresh and a little less kind of uh, definition oriented.
0: You could basically take the, I mean, does it, the, What what is the story behind Verblio as as the new brand? Because I, I think it's an interesting story of, I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners out there who maybe their own business has evolved since they founded it. And, you know, whether it's a naming or a rebranding, kind of how you rolled that out, I think is is probably an interesting part of the evolution of the business.
1: Yeah, and we have uh, we have the scars to show. Um, <laughs> it was not easy, and unless your company definitely needs it, I would recommend waiting. You know, I think that uh, it's, it was it was a whole year project for us. We started in December and we launched it in uh, on October seventh, two thousand eighteen. Uh, it involved everybody in the company. We uh, decided to change absolutely everything about the business. So not only did we change the name and the brand and the logo, we changed the entire website at the exact same time. We changed where we hosted the website. So we basically did everything you're not supposed to do in a rebrand, which is change every variable at once. But we felt like it had to be done. I feel like there's kind of like if, it's a, if your brand is neutral, it's not getting new clients, it's not uh, losing new clients, then it's fine. It's something you can live with. But it had become to the point where both parts of the word, log and the mutt, no longer represented what we did. So it was actually holding us back from communicating with our, with our customer base.
0: Did you also change your, how you structured your services and the, the general value proposition and offer? Or was it really more of, a, of an alignment of you, you were playing a different game with your customers and the market was playing a different game and you just needed to shore that up? Uh, that's a great question. We uh, so we made a big. when we rebranded Verblio it was really when we
1: put our flag in the ground that we were going to focus on digital agencies. We've been kind of splitting our time as who was our primary focus before that. We've been building up our the the number one thing that I wanted to focus on when I came on board was was the quality of our writing. And the number two was the customer experience of how to get this writing done and easily easy to manage and easy to use fashion. And so we'd really focused on evolving those over the years to the point that we could, come out with
0: pride that this was our our new brand. Let's talk about your relationship with agencies and how content works into their businesses. I know for a lot of agencies, uh, whether they're building websites or doing ongoing marketing uh, for their clients, that content is kind of, I mean, it's part of the fuel. It's not everything, but it's a big part of the ongoing fuel that whether it's ad campaigns or blogging or funnels that they're building, ebooks or whatever, that content plays a huge role in that. H- how much of what you all do is is trying to work with the agencies to kind of almost work on their process a little bit of how they deal with content? or do you just have kind of this is how we operate here at Verblio, you know kind of uh, work with our process and, 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 and hopefully it works for you or, or are you actually trying to really get into their workflows and, and what are you seeing in those workflows across so many different clients?
1: Excellent question. Uh, agencies are very snowflake oriented. They have a, a different process for every single thing that they do and everybody's specializing in something different. And I think that's great. And that's why there's, there's so many different ways to approach things. I, I have to answer this in a non-ideal fashion. I'm saying we try to take both sides and that we try to create a process uh, and improve the process that we think will work for agencies is how to manage our product their content after having worked with so many of them. And we got an idea for what at least the top 80% is. We know that 20% of this platform is not gonna work for the way that you do your work, but we think that we have workarounds for most of it. And then the other thing we do is we, we've we invested more in our technology side of our business and our product team than any, any other player in the space uh, as far as constantly listening to to agencies about what the next thing we should provide is. So right now we're ripping apart our backend system to provide more flexibility in our subscriptions and we're uh, revamping our white label system. Uh, to make it even more powerful based on lots of agency feedback. And we get a lot of feedback. They're not, uh, agencies are not shy.
0: How do you decide what feedback you're going to actually implement and uh, in which ones you'll, you kind of decide to say, "Uh, thank you for the suggestion. We're not going to do that. We, uh, so we have a, a fantastic product director who uh,
1: has brought in the rice uh, model and process into our company, which basically looks at the amount of volume that we're getting for any specific request. So basically evaluating how much of that volume is coming in and then evaluates how much work it would be to fix it. So uh, it balances all of those things. Uh, and we the hardest part about doing product roadmap work with uh, where you have to plan things out is just allocating how much of it is the the small fixes you want to make along the way versus making really big structural change, the big rocks as I call them versus the sand. Uh, and so we try to balance both of those things, but it's really based on the the volume and the consistency of how many of our clients want it uh, and then also how much effort and how quickly we could deliver it. We think we'd you know sometimes it'd be better to, Deliver five small wins or 10 small wins in a quarter versus uh, one big win in a in six months.
0: You know, since I have, you have such a unique view because you work with so many agencies, I, or at least I think you do, in terms of like what you see them working and, and, and what's working and what's not working in terms of kind of overall trends. What kind of content, you mentioned, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 word articles or blog posts, you know, is kind of a sweet spot, but what else are you seeing that people are getting a lot of results from with their clients? So the long
1: form is definitely number one as uh, the consistently the, the folks who who spend the most time with content are writing longer, longer form stuff and they're doing it frequently. I think a couple of the other trends are one is, um, is going multimedia. So a lot of companies are experimenting with adding video and more design. That's why we we acquired a video uh, company last November called Automagical to uh, to pair written content with video content. Uh, I think it's still at its early phases, but I think it's going to really be a key driver of content in the future. And the third is really uh, experimenting with content is a competitive advantage. So because... The agencies who are really trying to use this differently are doing less than solve. So step one is just solve the day-to-day hassle of how hard it is to create content with a variety of writers who are subject matter experts, who are available when you need to, who deliver on deadline at a reasonable price uh, and get you uh, that you don't have to spend that much time with. I think that's, you know, that's been the core of our business uh, for many years. I think the next phase is really exciting. So a lot of these companies are thinking of content as their competitive advantage. How do you build a business on it? So the legal one I example that I gave previously, um, this agency basically said, hey, I've never had the ability where I could scale 100 new articles a month with the exact same writers. I don't have to invest ahead of time to know there. I just have a strategic partner that can provide it. So I'm going to offer this as part of my pitch. Another example of that is we have... a. A publisher client with us who started about a year ago today with uh, with the test of 50 articles. They're basically creating entertainment articles and using display ads to monetize them. And by uh, by July, we built where we were delivering 1,200 unique articles for them every single month. Uh, and that all came with no investment cost upfront from them. as how to how to build a service. They just knew that if the ROI could come, they could deliver something unique by using content in a kind of a different way.
0: Uh, and, and I'm just trying to wrap my head around that, Steve. so you know, <laughs> what, what I think so. So somebody created basically a an online magazine, a publication uh-huh. exactly. without ever having any of their own staff writers without ever having to create their own like workforce for themselves, they just came to your network and said, "Hey, I mean, you're publishing hundred percent of their stuff, and that's and then they have ad revenue that they they've gotten to a positive. Uh, ROI on that, and it, it, and it works. And they're not actually the ones that are managing the the the, the writing staff. That's that's basically
1: it. They they do have some. Um, they have their own staff, and they tested some of these things internally first. But they used us to supercharge it and add uh, and to leverage it into a much bigger business quickly.
0: That is fascinating. I mean, I just I, I look at some of the bigger publishers, right? I mean, some of the people that I mean, I don't know, you know, some some of them have 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 gone away, but I mean, that have. You know had to create their own essentially what you guys have created is is a platform but of course they're 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 making it for just their site which means that their network isn't nearly as robust and they probably the the feature set isn't nearly as robust as, as what you guys are able to do so that's that's really fascinating to to think about that the content as a competitive advantage but also as a as kind of part of the core product that they're in that publisher example that they're that they're doing so I mean if you were a, a business I mean a hundred articles a month as like a law firm I mean is that necessary or feasible? Or is that, uh, that kind of what you're saying is like, if you can produce at that level, that it creates such an outsized force through search and through just the amount of content you're publishing that like you're just going to capture more of the market? I think so. I will uh,
1: not come before you and all of your agencies and say that I am an expert on SEO versus uh, your audience. I will say that we can tell you what, what other agencies are doing so I do think there's an advantage where you can jump ahead by using more content in specific situations where you're trying to place your client in front of uh, uh, get them higher ranked than somebody else. I think this is going to be increasingly true of, SEO as it moves, uh, you know one of the big trends we're following is the move from SEO from early adopters to late adopters into laggards. as uh, I think a lot of the larger companies like the you know the bigger dinosaurs out there who haven't needed to compete on SEO will start needing to compete And the first one of these large guys in the space, oil and gas, um, something of that nature, who starts to really flood the content think we'll have a distinct competitive advantage for a while and agencies have a chance to, uh, to set up their clients like that.
0: Uh, I'm curious. I'm sure you guys have costs that very uh, greatly. I'm just my own curiosity. I'm like, well, what happens if, I mean, you gurus right now, we publish two blog articles a month. I'm like, man, this is, <laughs> this already takes a lot of work, right? A uh, hundred articles a month. That's interesting. I mean, are we talking like 10 grand a month to, to create that kind of a, an environment? Uh, our
1: our starting price point is a, a th- so it's basically a thousand word blog is a hundred dollars.
0: Okay, so about ten grand to do a hundred articles a month, which in the grand scheme of things, if I'm comparing that to against like ad budgets and things like that, it it really isn't that. I mean, that would be manageable, and so uh, that's an interesting proposition of just like creating sure. tons of high quality content within your niche as a. Way to differentiate yourself and uh, become part of that competitive advantage. So that's that's a yeah. that's a fascinating pro- proposition yeah.
1: um, and, a sus- and a sustainable advantage too, because of the way SEO seems to work. That once you get out there first, um, so I think that's really interesting. And then I'll just add that for a lot of so the agencies either have somebody who's running the content and managing our platform for their for their agency, or we have an account management kind of professional services team to manage for it. But there definitely has to be. Somebody in the middle making all of that happen because you're definitely right. It's not that easy to uh, even manage yourself if you have writers
0: helping. Yeah, I mean, there's the you know coming up with what you're going to write about, I mean, creating those briefs or assignments, and then the actual content's getting produced, and then what are we doing with that stuff? I mean, yeah, there's I'm not trying to say that it's only going to cost somebody 10 grand a month to to, to run that, but uh, that is still a fascinating proposition. Uh, you've got my my wheels turning. Hopefully, our audience is also sitting there thinking, "Well, that's an interesting way to approach this of just leveraging a platform, uh, a workforce platform, whether that's that's verbally or, or or another workforce platform." Like, what is now possible because of the technology that you, companies like you and, and yourself, have created for the marketplace, where you can get that highly skilled. Talent to create something at scale is is a fascinating kind of uh, brainstorming exercise. Which which you guys are right at the front end of it. I mean, creating sixty thousand pieces of content per year. Uh, so you're seeing this stuff. So that's cool. Uh, this has been super fascinating, Steve, and I appreciate you kind of running through a couple of these different scenarios with me, but also giving a little bit of the backstory of Verblio and your history with the company. Uh, are you ready for our lightning round? I think so. <laughs> I, I know your game. We we, we hung out at U Summit, and uh, uh, you, you you attended the Panda uh, Panda Strikes Back lounge with Styles. So uh, I'm but, sure if you can do that, you can do the lightning round cool I
1: was uh, proud
0: to serve as Obi Pandanobi <laughs> I was I was wondering like what well, what's the right time to bring this up during the episode <laughs> uh, we, we, will, we will have to find a picture to post with your uh, with your uh, pod with the show notes uh, on fair, fair enough <laughs> uh, all right here we go uh, what is the best advice you've ever received best advice I've ever received
1: um, it's really funny this is a really easy one but it was at my wedding and my uncle told me don't sweat the small stuff And it's one of the best guidance I've ever had and the hardest thing
0: to leave up to. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Ridiculous optimism. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use that you think our listeners would find valuable?
1: God, the first one that comes to mind is, of course, Slack. I know everybody's using it right now, but it's just so overwhelming and how that has transformed communication in a in a company and the way to build a culture. That uh, if you're not already using it, please do. But if you uh, if you are using it, it's such a powerful way to to build culture and uh, within a company and also relationships with clients.
0: Out of curiosity, just because you have your core team and then you also have your Writer ecosystem. Do you use Slack for just the core team or do you also use it as a tool with your larger workforce? We use it just
1: for our core team. With our writer community, we use the forum as a much more manageable way to
0: manage 3,000 discussions. Got it. Okay. I was just imagining like 3,000 people in Slack. That'd be interesting, but glad to hear that that's not the case. I'm sure people do it. What book would you recommend and why? I am such an avid reader. I generally think of the first one that I'm reading right now, which is
1: David Robertson's The Power of Little Ideas. And I think this, this, uh, the concept is so much, so much um, of the discussion and the dialogue about innovation has been disruptive ideas. It has to be a complete new disruptive blue ocean technology. And this is really about innovating around a core business proposition and then building a full, uh, user experience and solution around it, uh, and their example was kind of the Carfax idea. They were selling a commodity product, and they built out a full experience around it. And it's very similar to the way that I think about Verblio. So it's kind of nice that somebody is touting an idea where it's a, it's much more approachable than coming up with something that's never ever been done.
0: Awesome. Well, we will definitely link out to that book, The Power of Little Ideas uh, on our show notes page, along with some additional tools and references throughout this show. You could check that out at dot forward slash podcast. And, uh, uh, if you are listening to this episode, the first, the week it comes out, if you just click, go to dot com and click on podcast, you'll see Steve's episode right there at the top. Uh, Steve, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? We are pretty easy to find online
1: at uh, Verblio.com, V-E-R-B-L-I-O. And uh, we're there to, uh, if you'd like to to dig in deeper, our team is pretty easy to talk to at any time.
0: Sweet. Well, we will also link out to your website, Verblio.com, on our show notes page. So if you guys are looking to find out more information about Steve and his company, definitely check that out. Again, YouGurus.com forward slash podcast. And we will also try to dig up a photo of, uh, of Obi-Wan Panda. Kenobi, did you say? Uh, we're, we're gonna have to work on that for the notes. It's Obi Pandanobi. <laughs> Obi Pandanobi. All right. <laughs> if you wanna see uh, if you wanna see Obi Pandanobi then uh, definitely check out our show notes page. We will find a photo, uh, and uh, now now it's in the show. So I got I got I got to deliver. Uh, I got to deliver, Steve. So, well, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks also for your support at U Summit. Loved having you all there. Uh, you've got an amazing team, amazing company. You're supporting so many great digital agencies. So if you all are out there needing this type of help, definitely look up Verblio and their team. They're they're awesome folks. Uh, so yeah, thanks, uh, Steve, for stopping by the program today. Brent, thanks so much for having me, and thanks so much for a great conference last month too. For sure. All right, folks, that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out? Cash crunched?